Well, good morning. This is not what I expected. Uh, what a unique and yet a warm setting. I, I grew up in a church of 50, and we bought a house and knocked out the uh, wall between the kitchen and the dining room, and that's where we met. And then when I went to Louisville, Kentucky years ago, we met in the basement of a house, and that uh, was not quite as large as this, but uh, I, I, uh, I like it, and I'm... I'm, I'm glad to be here today. Uh, I'm gonna, before I begin, I'm going to answer a question that some of you are asking. I'm 79. Uh, I'm going to be 80 in October. I know that's getting up there, too. Uh, a, a guy in our church asked me recently, said, I'm pre-planning my funeral. Would you do my funeral? And I said, well, I will, but you better hurry up. <laughs> Now, I understand that I'm, uh, I'm here at a unique time. You've made this transition between uh, Rick and Nick. It's kind of like from Elijah to Elisha. And I'm going to get those names mixed up all the time, and I'm sure you will too. But I thought since you've got uh, a, a new preacher and you're going through a transition, even though everything I've heard about this church is good and harmonious, I want to talk with you about what you can expect of your new preacher, Nick, and what he has a right to expect of you. You know, a little girl uh, always wanted to see the ocean. She just couldn't imagine a body of water that would cover so many miles and how massive it would be. Finally, the family was vacationing in Florida, and the parents took her to see the Atlantic Ocean. She looked at it for a little bit, and she said, it's not as big as I thought it would be. <laughs> Unrealistic expectations can lead to disappointment. That's true in a marriage, isn't it? If the husband says, I thought she would get up at 6 o'clock in the morning and cook breakfast for me, the way my mother always did for my dad. That's an unrealistic expectation. <laughs> or if she says, I thought he would understand all my fluctuating moods and just hold me and make me feel better. Well, that's unrealistic expectation. It happens in sports. I live in Kentucky, and there I'm surrounded with UK fans. There are no UK fans in here today. <laughs> oh, Here's example number one right here. Uh, Kentucky fans think they should win the national championship every year. And if they get knocked out in the Sweet 16 or the Elite Eight, they're disappointed. They're ready to fire the coach. They don't come to church on Sunday morning. Unrealistic expectations. Sometimes people have unrealistic expectations about being a Christian. They think... Once they become a Christian, everything's going to be prosperous and they'll be pain-free. But then when trouble and suffering comes, they kind of bail out because of unrealistic expectations. So I want to talk with you about your expectations of your new preacher. This is an exciting time. It's rare that a church can pass the baton as smoothly as you're passing it. And one of the reasons is, I know you love your preacher, and he's still going to be around. And uh, Nick and Rick are kind of sharing the responsibilities. That's very rare, and you're, you're blessed. But I've met Nick, 
He's personable. He knows the Bible. He loves the Lord. He loves you. Whether his ministry goes well or not will in large part be determined by your expectations of him and vice versa. In 1965, some elders from a new church in Louisville, Kentucky, went to the president of Cincinnati Bible College and they said, we believe God is leading us to a younger man. We think we're going to hire a younger man who will grow with us, but we're going to hire a young preacher and we're going to make him successful. I thought that ought to be the motto for every church board. But they narrowed it down to me, and I was a very young man, and I decided I would go to this new church in Louisville. But I went to the president myself, and I said, I'm a little apprehensive about going because uh, I grew up in the country milking cows, and this is a church in the city. I grew up in a church of 50, and this church has the potential to grow large. I, grew, I just have a, a BA degree from Bible college. This church is full of people who have PhDs in various fields. And he said, well, the Lord will be with you. But he, then he added this, it's my observation, the church makes the preacher. And in large part, that's true. You will determine Nick's effectiveness by your expectations, your attitude, and your support. So I want to challenge you as a church, make him successful in God's eyes. Now here's what I want to do. I'm going to read from 1 Peter, the fifth chapter, and I, think, I want you to think about what you have a right to expect of him and what he can expect of you. Here's what it says. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who will also share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you're willing as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. And verse 5 says, In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourself to your elders. All of you, clothe yourself with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. Now, the preacher is called a number of things in the Bible. He's called a minister or servant. He's called evangelist or pastor. Here, He's called shepherd, another word for pastor. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. Now, what were the responsibilities of a shepherd? And how are the sheep supposed to respond? Well, one thing, a good shepherd loves his sheep. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. The shepherd knows the sheep by name, and he cares for them. Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. So you have a right to expect Nick to care for you as a person. He's your shepherd. You can expect him to treat every member with respect. Now, don't expect him to spend the same amount of time with everyone in the church. He has a right to close friends. Jesus had Peter, James, and John as closer friends. But the spiritual leader should not show favoritism to the rich, the influential, or the young, or the attractive. If the good shepherd loved the least of these, so should the good under-shepherd. So you can expect Nick to pray for you, 
to listen to you, to help guide you through serious problems as a pastor, to see that you're visited when you're sick, to challenge you to grow in the faith, help you reach your potential, know the Bible. When I was a 10-year-old boy, we got a new preacher in our church, and I was playing Little League Baseball, and I looked up one day, and there's the preacher sitting in the stands. I couldn't believe it. The preacher came to see me play. I was just 10 years old. That probably motivated me to go in the ministry more than any sermon that he ever preached. (laughs) But let me say a word of caution. Don't expect the preacher to be your personal chaplain. One of the reasons that most churches don't grow beyond 100 or 150 is that everybody wants the preacher to be their own private mentor or nursemaid. And the preacher spends so much time holding hands, wiping noses, listening to gripes, that he doesn't have time for really vital issues like studying to preach or seeking the lost. Listen, you're not the only sheep in the fold. You're not the only one he loves. If you've got a church of well over 100, when you put everybody together, there's probably 200 people reached by this church. And it can't be everybody's personal chaplain. Let me stop here for a second. I noticed driving in here, you got an exit right off the expressway. And there's this land being sold around you. In 15 years, you're probably not going to recognize this area. This church has the potential to reach hundreds of people. And if you're going to reach those people, the preacher can't be everybody's chaplain. In the book of Ephesians, the fourth chapter says, God gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. You can't look at the church as a pyramid with one guy at the top meeting everybody's needs. It's got to be a circle where you train people to reach one another, serve one another. That makes the church healthier and stronger. If it's a pyramid, the bottom can only be so big and, and you lose people. So you have a right to expect him to love you, but the preacher has a right to expect you to love him in return. In Acts, the 20th chapter, the Apostle Paul visited the elders at Ephesus, and he'd been the preacher there for three years. And the Bible says they knelt and prayed, and they embraced, and they wept together because they loved Paul. They weren't contentious. So you love your preacher. You encourage Nick. When he preaches well, you write him a note, say, or you tell him afterward, really good. You be generous to him. On occasion, may give, give him a gift certificate to a restaurant. You stand by him in tough times. If you have a disagreement, be sure to express your concern in love. Be thoughtful to to him. I've got my notes here. Be thoughtful to him, his wife, and his kids. Well, that's not going to (laughs) apply. But you you find somebody for him to marry. uh, It's okay to say that, isn't it? I'm only here one time. I, I've, I've, got a, uh, I've got a son who preaches in Florida. He's got a family. And his wife got sick, and she's battling illness, and their teenage daughter had health problems. And a lady in the church called my uh, daughter-in-law, and she said, I'm going to be over there in a half hour. I'm going to pick up your laundry. I'm going to dye your laundry every Monday. Uh, Monday, I can do your laundry today. I'm going to do your laundry every Monday until you feel better. Isn't that great? Kelly says she's not going to feel better to 2030. <laughs> you find ways to express your love to your preacher. And when people look here, they say, Jesus said, by this shall they know that you're my disciples, that you love one another. 
And when they see you loving your preacher and loving your, the, 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 your previous preacher, they'll say, I, I can tell that's the place where God is. A good, so you have a right to expect him to love you. He has a right to expect you to love him in return. Here's another thing. A good shepherd also leads his sheep. He says in verse 3, you don't lord it over those entrusted to you, but you're an example to the flock. You know, the shepherd doesn't drive the sheep. That would scatter them. The shepherd leads the sheep, and they instinctively follow. So, Nick, I would say to you, people watch you like a hawk. They know how you dress. They know how fast you drive. <laughs> they know whether you close your eyes in prayer. They, they know what kind of car you drive. They, so they have a right to expect you to lead them spiritually. You can expect your preacher to be a person of integrity, to guard his speech, to avoid greed, to be kind to his neighbor, to pay his bills on time. That's realistic. Peter says he doesn't lord it over those entrusted him. He's an example. As our church was growing, the chairman of our elders one time said, okay, I want all of the elders and the staff and the deacons Next Sunday, I want you all start parking down at Seneca High School because our parking lot is full and we want to free up dozens of places for visitors to park. Now, I've been the preacher there for 30 years. Eight o'clock on Sunday morning, I drove past the church, hundreds of empty spaces. But I go down as the preacher, I get on a yellow bus, ride back up to church. Now, you would think a guy had been preaching for 30 years there ought to be one little spot <laughs> right at the front door, a little sign that says reserved for your highness or, or something, you know. <laughs> you know, I, go, I ride the shuttle bus because I'm not the exception, I'm the example. And a leader is not the exception. Jesus said the greatest among you be the servant of all. Now, let me have a word of caution here. You have a right to expect your preacher to lead by example, but don't expect him to be perfect. The Bible says we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's no one righteous, not even one. And a preacher isn't perfect. No one is. If he forgets a name, if you catch him exaggerating a story, if he drives over the speed limit, if you see him smiling at a questionable joke, and he... And he uh, gives the wrong reference for a scripture, or he roots for the wrong basketball team or something. <laughs> Remember the command of Jesus, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. I was at the same church for 40 years, and I'm so thankful for a church that was patient with me. When I first started preaching, I learned not to speak extemporaneously. Some guys can say something off the top of their head. They believe the Holy Spirit leads them. Well, if, if I do that, I get in trouble. I remember one day I was preaching on Jacob, and Jacob had 12 sons, and it came on my mind, and I said it out loud. Well, I've always said I'd, I'd like to have a large family. And then I remember my wife said, as soon as we had our second one, no more. <laughs> and so I said, I've always said I'd like to have a large family, but I'd probably have to have a concubine to do it. And as soon as I said it, I, <laughs> after the first service, I'm standing by the door, and I feel this presence beside me. <laughs> and my, my, my wife said, I wouldn't use that line second hour if I were you. <laughs> and, and I didn't. So don't expect him to be perfect. We all, give him a little slack. Don't judge your preacher by his worst moments. You have a right to expect him to lead. He has a right to expect you to follow. The Bible says, 
You be submissive to those who are older. You clothe yourself with humility toward one another. God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. I believe the number one barrier to a harmonious, healthy, growing church is pride. Everybody wants their way. Everybody wants to take the lead. We've got all these leadership conferences. We need a followship conference. <laughs> Say, hey, this is how, how, how we follow. And the real test of your character, by the way, are you a good follower when you're not a leader? I'm talking to people I know in school or on your job. You have positions of leadership. Can you turn around and be a good follower when you're not in charge? Maybe when you come into church, that's time to take off your leadership hat for a while, put on a followship hat. You remember years ago, Christmas fell on Sunday. And some very large churches decided they were going to have a big Christmas Eve service on Saturday night, complete with communion. And then they were going to dismiss on Sunday morning. People could be with their families. Because it's really tough to bring all the nursery workers and youth workers and the praise band volunteers in. So everybody come on Saturday night. Well, USA Today got a hold of it, printed it, that their church is not having church on Christmas Day. And they got all kind of flack. Well, our elders considered doing that, but one of our elders said, well, there might be somebody who can't come on Sunday morning, so let's have a service. But let's not have two services, let's just have one. And let's not have it in the big auditorium, let's just have it in the fellowship hall. And no, no child care, no praise band, just somebody play a guitar, sing some, some uh, car Christmas carols, have a devotional. We did, and it was great. It was just a warm feeling, kind of like this church right here. But there was one older couple that came to church that morning and went and sat in the darkened sanctuary the entire hour. And the greeters came in and said, hey, we're meeting in the fellowship hall. And with tears in their eyes, they said, we know, but this is where God intends us to be on Sunday morning. And people ask me why I retired. You know? <laughs> there comes a time when, unless your preacher and the elders are leading you to disobey God's word or the preacher isn't following the guidance of the elders, or he's contrary to scripture or something, you be good followers. That brings me to the third thing. A good shepherd protects his sheep. The shepherd carried a staff. Remember the one with the hook on the end of it? Reach out and grab. But on the other end, there's a blunt instrument, so he would ward off the wild animals. David, who was a shepherd, said they had to kill a lion and a bear to protect his sheep. In Acts, the 20th chapter, uh, the Apostle Paul told the elders at Ephesus, Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. You have a right to expect Nick to be on his guard against predators. You know, the devil doesn't like a united church. The devil doesn't like an atmosphere like this where you're exalting Jesus Christ. And he will try to come in as a wolf sometimes in sheep's clothing. There are three types of predators who would devour the flock. First are false teachers. 2 Timothy 2.17 says, their teaching will spread like gangrene. So in a small group, Sunday school class, somebody read a book that says there is no hell, they start teaching that, or somebody teaches 
that there's reincarnation or Jesus is going to come back in December. Uh, you expect Nick and the elders step in and say, hey, we can't have, that'll spread like gangrene. The second kind of, of uh, predator are the habitually de divisive people. Titus 3, 10, 11 says, you warn a divisive person once, then warn him a second time. After that, have nothing to do with him. You may be sure that such a man is warped and sinful. He's self-condemned. There's some people spread gossip, criticize, murmur, and the leaders or the shepherds of the flock got to say, hey, we can't have that. We're a united church. And then the third kind of predator are the flagrantly immoral. Paul chastised the church leaders because they tolerated a man who was living in immorality in 1 Corinthians 5. And he says, you shouldn't be proud of your tolerance. You should put out of your fellowship the man who did this. Get rid of the old yeast so, the new, so you may be a new batch without yeast as you really are. Uh, there'll be times that somebody has to step in and uh, say, hey, this isn't right. I told you about my son preaching in Florida. Well, when he first went to this church, he called me after three months. He said, Dad, we must have six, seven couples in our church very active, but they're living together without marriage, and nobody's ever said anything about it. And I don't want to come across as the heavy, but I know the church is welcoming the sinners, but it's also to be a people who are called out and we're to be distinctive. The church is not a social club just reflecting community standards. It's ecclesia, the body of Christ. And, and this is undermining the church. I got to speak about it. Well, he, he called several weeks later and said, Dad, I'm preaching through Colossians, and I got this passage on uh, take off the old and put on the new, and I'm going to talk about it this week. I'm going to say, take off the old standard of the world, which is uh, cohabitation, and put on the new standard of Jesus Christ, which is commitment in marriage. As he was preparing his sermon, it just so happened a woman in the church called him and said, Pastor Rusty, uh, my boyfriend and I have been living together for several years. We know we should get married, but we can't afford it. Uh, he just lost his job. We, we can't afford to get married. And Rusty said, I'll tell you what, you do the right thing and you get married, I'll marry you for free. I see you get the church building for free. And she agreed to do it. Then he got an idea. He said, I'm preaching on that very subject this week. Would you be willing, at the end of my sermon to get married in front of a whole congregation to show them what I'm talking about. She said, would it still be for free? <laughs> she said, yeah, it'll still be for free. Well, somebody heard about it and bought her a dress. Somebody else bought some flowers and a cake. And uh, on Sunday morning at the end of his sermon, he calls up the groom. He has a prayer with the groom. The, they play, here comes the bride, and here she came down in that dress, and new flowers, and he performed his wedding at the end of his sermon. And you know there were some live-in girlfriends on the way home saying to their husband, hey, if they can do it, we can do it too. Now, what I'm saying is the church, the leaders of the church have got to take a stand against the immorality in the church that would do damage and lose the credibility of the church. But you've got to do it as lovingly and creatively as possible. So you have a right to expect Nick to uh, stand up and protect the flock. Now, you also have a right, he has a right to expect you to protect him in return. Protect him from overcommitment and insist he spend time sometime with his friends. Protect him from interruptions when he's studying. Learn what his study habits are so that when he stands in front of you like this every week, he'll be able to feed you the word of God. James Earl Massey, great black preacher, used to say, 
You give me time to spend alone with my Bible and my God, I'll see that you don't go home hungry or embarrassed. <laughs> and you protect him from unjust and continuous criticism as much as possible. You know, criticism is like a battering ram that just destroys your preacher. You, you give him some space. And, and by the way, let him grow. I understand Nick grew up in this church. Is that right? Some of you may have had him in the nursery. You may have changed his diaper years ago. <laughs> or you knew him when he was in high school and he could make some mistakes when he was in high school. You let him out of that box. You let him grow. And you'll find out the preacher he is 10 years from now is not the same preacher he is now. He's not the same person at 40 that he was at 30. You, 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 you protect him against unjust criticism. And don't let him be, the word of caution here, don't let him be the lightning rod on controversial issues. He's going to have to speak out like I did just a minute ago about cohabitation or something, and he's going to offend some people. But as much as possible, don't make him the lightning rod when some other person can do it. Our elders decided that they would have a discipline committee of the elders. When somebody in the church was getting a divorce and they needed to stay together, or somebody uh, was having a conflict with another person in the church, there's a builder and, and the per building a house for a person in the church and they disagreed. Instead of sending me, one of the elders would go. They call it the discipline committee. They changed the name later to the restoration committee <laughs> for obvious reasons. You call, I'm from the discipline committee, can I go? <laughs> Restoration committee, oh, come on over. You know, and the elders could go and say, hey, we, we can't have you in this kind of uh, business anymore. Uh, we hear stories that's hurting the witness of the church. And they, they would call, say to me, I could still minister to them because I wasn't the one who went. I could, they could say, boy, the elders are pretty harsh on me. Yeah, I know they're really mean. I'll just do it. <laughs> you protect your preacher as much as possible. You have a right to expect him to protect you against the predators like false teachers and divisive people and immoral people who would destroy the witness of the church. Well, one other fact about a good shepherd, he feeds the sheep. He provides nutrition. The last thing Jesus said directly to Simon Peter was, feed my sheep. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Who believes in me will never be thirsty. The Bible is milk and meat and bread, and honey, and water for the soul. And the good shepherd will feed you the word of God in a way that, like a sheep, you lie down in green pastures, content that you're fed. Uh, there's that passage in the book of 1 Timothy, uh, or 2 Timothy 4, that says to the preacher, preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, Encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, in, in order to suit their own desires, they'll gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. It's unbelievable what is taught in some churches today. They've forgotten the Bible. And whatever culture, go, wind of the culture, that's where they go. Instead of standing for the word of God. And it says they'll turn away their ears from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, Timothy, keep your head, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. So Nick, preach the Bible. Make it clear to people. 
Apply it to people's lives. And it'll be amazing what happens when you just sow the seed of the Word of God. Have you ever been to somebody's house and you thought they were going to feed you and they thought you ate before you came? <laughs> you're sitting there about 7 o'clock and your stomach's gurgling. You say to your man, I don't think they're going to feed us. I don't think they are either. About 8 o'clock, I said, would you like some popcorn? Yes, yeah, we'll take some popcorn. <clears throat> when you leave at 9.30, where do you go? You go straight to fast food because the body instinctively craves food. Same is true with the spirit. The spirit craves the word of God. Jesus said, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now, the people in the world don't know what they're searching for, but they're poking around looking for something, and they find the Word of God, and it transforms them, and it feeds them. Now, if those people, Amos talks about that, Amos 8, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will send a famine through the land, not a famine of food or a thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the Word of the Lord. People will stagger from sea to sea, wander from north to east, searching for the Word of the Lord, but they will not find it. Now, those people will come through the doors of your church. And if all they hear is pop psychology and current illustrations and social action, they might go away saying, pretty good speaker, yeah, let's go someplace else. But if they come in here and the Word of God is opened and they're taught the Bible, they'll go home saying, I feel like I've been to church today. I've been fed. I think I'm going to go back. I'm going to take somebody with me because it really, really helped me. Let me say a word of caution here. You have a right to expect Nick to preach the Bible, but don't expect every meal to be Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> we know as preachers, sometimes it's just peanut butter and jelly. And when the spiritual meal, meal is ordinary, you be patient. He'll keep improving. You be thankful. We're so spoiled. It used to be, You'd, come, you'd compare your preacher with the guy down the road. Now you get on the internet and you compare your preacher with the greatest preachers in the world. So be, be patient because, and be kind. Matt Proctor said he preached terrible one time. He knew he preached terrible. He said people were really nice. They gave him, good sermon, preacher, good sermon. He said one older lady came out and she was a little more honest. She said, nice try. <laughs> <laughs> so when your preacher's preaching, you, you, you encourage him to preach the Bible. Every once in a while, I'll hear somebody say, I'm just not fed there anymore. I'm just not being fed. Well, sometimes that may be true. But sometimes when people say, well, I'm just not being fed, it's their way of bragging about their spiritual maturity. Well, the rest of you might be satisfied that pablum was served down there, but not me, man. I'm an older Christian. I'm more mature. I need something a little more meaty than that. Or sometimes people say they're not being fed, when they don't realize there comes a stage in your Christian life where you grow not just from hearing the word, but you grow from exercising the word. You know, when you're first Christian, you can't get enough of the Bible. I mean, it's feeding you. you. You get more and more. But you reach a place where I got a pretty good grasp of it. You still need to be fed, but your growth comes from service. Somebody complained to L.D. Campbell, a preacher, one time. I'm just not being fed. He said, we'll take off the bib and put on an apron. <laughs> it's time, time to serve. But it, when, when, when you're served the Word of God, you, you be thankful. You have a right to expect Him to feed you. He has a right to expect you to come to the table hungry. 
The Bible says you crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Sometimes nothing happens on Sunday morning when you come to church because too much has happened on Saturday night. You come rested. You come hungry. You be prayerful. When Nick comes that moment when he steps into this area to preach, you pray, Lord, anoint him to preach and feed me today. Help his word to fall on ready ears. And then you affirm your preacher when he preaches. You nod your head. You smile. You laugh out loud. You unfold your arms. At least you keep your eyes open so that he will know that you're with him. And most importantly, put it into practice. When he's, don't be hearers of the word, but doers only. Somebody said there are three phrases. Somebody did a survey. Three phrases, favorite phrases that people want to hear. And they are these. I love you. You're forgiven. You know what the third is? It's supper time. <laughs> time to eat. That's church. God loves you. You're forgiven. All things are ready. Come to the feast. And when the chief shepherd appears, he'll give you a crown of glory that will never fade away. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this church, Maple Grove Christian Church. I thank you for the long history of people who have been influenced and grown and protected and loved and found salvation here. But help us not to look in the rearview mirror too much. Help us look out the front windshield and have a vision for tomorrow of what can be here, people who can be reached. So I pray your blessing on Rick and his family. Thank you for his years of service here. Thank you for him being so gracious to turn the baton over when it's time. Thank you he's going to remain here and continue to be a shepherd. And so we pray together as a church for Nick. Pray that he'll preach the word faithfully. Pray that you'd bless his health. You'd help him to love and lead and protect and feed this flock in such a way that it'll have a great testimony here in this place for you. We ask this in the name of the Good Shepherd, Jesus. Amen.